Hello, my friend. You are tuned in to a brand new episode of Tide Pod, and today you are in for a treat because this is another one of your favorite types of episodes. That's right. We're going behind the scenes and really getting into some nitty gritty, good old fashioned what the heck is going on in your business with a incredible business owner that I have happened to be in contact with and kind of existing within her own atmosphere as both a client and a colleague for uh, about a year now. So I'm really, really excited to have Maya Elias joining us. She is a personal branding strategist and the CEO of Built to Impact, which is a coaching and consulting company that helps faith-based female entrepreneurs build a high-end coaching business. Now you are in for an absolute treat because throughout this episode, you're not only going to hear about the early stages of building out her team, but you're going to hear about some of the nuances of being the CEO of an agency model versus a coaching model. Some of the challenges that are inherent when you're training people who are in direct contact with your own client and customer base and what it has really taken over the years for Maya in particular to step into her own authority and continue to trust herself and her own expertise and insight. I am so excited for you to be able to hear this conversation. So we are going to dig right in. Hello, my friend, it's Tiana Tai, team dynamics consultant and trained industrial organizational psychologist, helping you to become a better leader than your last boss. And right now, you are tuning in to the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs building and leading teams, hiring, onboarding, management, or maybe you just want some general advice about building your business. Well, let me assure you, you are in the right place. So go ahead, crack open a fresh notebook because you are listening to TIPOD. Today's episode is brought to you by ClickUp. Now look, there are a lot of project management systems out there, and this is a question that I get pretty much on a weekly basis. Which system should I choose? Now, you know my belief, your system is highly dependent on how you work and how your team works best. However, I am not shy about sharing my favorite of the bunch. It's ClickUp. When it comes to daily team management, I have personally found that ClickUp provides everything you need. My team uses ClickUp for just task management, to house our headquarter resources, and for ongoing communication. My favorite part, with the unlimited version, you get access to the dashboards, which has totally replaced Slack for us, and I am a streamlined systems type of woman. I highly recommend it if you have a team, and guess what? It couldn't be easier or better. You can go to tianatai.com ClickUp and get 50% off of your very first year. I'm telling you. off. Just head to www.tianatai.com slash clickup to snag that today. Maya, I actually would love to just turn it right over to you. I know how I know you, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later, but I'd love for you to just kind of tell your story and let everyone know who you are and how you got here. Yes. So thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for us to chat today. Um, So as you said, my name is Maya Elias, CEO and founder of Built to Impact and Rebellious Fit. Built to Impact is my main company where I coach women of faith and entrepreneurs on how to package their expertise and take their business to six figures and beyond by selling high ticket offers, um, just leveraging their skill set. 
Um, and then Rebellious Fit is my new baby. We are not, we haven't, it hasn't even been one year since we launched, but that is a fitness apparel company. And that has been so interesting because it's completely different than service-based, which is where I have the bulk of my experience. So I've been in the branding space since 2008 when I started out in college, making MySpace pages and making little websites and making club flyers and all of that. So that is who I am. That's what I do today. It's so funny as someone, so for those who don't know, I have been in Maya's atmosphere because she has literally been one of my coaches and has helped me master my messaging over the last like year or so. But to me, it's really interesting because whenever I was introduced to Maya Elias and the brand and the company and all of that, it was more so like very established, right? And so to hear you kind of go back and say, well, we started off with like MySpace pages back in the day. It's like, huh? Well, let's talk about this evolution of this becoming something bigger than someone who is fantastic at branding and messaging. Mm, yeah, I, it, it's crazy to think about the evolution because although I know in my mind that that was what, 14 years ago, at, which is just insane. It's like, I just remember it like it was yesterday. You know, I'm 18 years old. I'm at this community college, just kind of figuring my way through life. <laughs> and somebody um, asked me if I knew how to create custom MySpace pages and they offered me $50. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe somebody's going to pay me 50 bucks to do like what I already do for fun and for free at home by myself in my free time. Um, so that's really how I got in that space. And, you know, just with my beginnings, knowing that somebody offered to pay me versus me having to go out and ask, is really how I got into the entrepreneurial space. I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. You know, I thought I was going to get a four-year college degree. I didn't see myself being a college dropout. Um, I, my parents certainly did not see that. But, you know, just knowing that somebody offered me money, that's one reason why I'm so passionate about just pouring into creatives. So for anybody who is familiar with me and follows me on Twitter, a lot of times you'll see that, I'm just giving money out to creatives, right? And it it seems random and it is, right? But I do it because oftentimes we are so pressed for our friends and our family to support us. And it's really when a stranger supports you that you feel validated in the things that you are doing. And so I oftentimes want to be that stranger for somebody and to pay them for a service or a product or just invest in them without getting anything in return. So they feel excited to keep going. So um, started out with, you know, somebody giving me 50 bucks and I just kept going. I used to be in the computer lab at school for hours upon hours on YouTube, learning how to build websites, learning how to code, learning how to uh, create effects in Photoshop and Illustrator, InDesign, all of those things. And, you know, I eventually started to understand the business of design and the business of branding. Um, when I was 23, 22, I got an internship as like a marketing assistant. I was getting paid $10 an hour. And again, that was a lot of money to me at the time. $10 an hour was still pretty good back then. And I was just, um, it was a Fortune 500 company. So they had very strict branding guidelines. And that is 
when I really learned the importance of branding and why you needed to be really consistent with fonts and consistent with colors. I mean, before that, you know, creating club flyers, it was like put all of the different fonts and have a gradient, have a glow, have a bevel, have a shadow. And that wasn't working in the corporate space. So <laughs> I really learned how to clean up, clean up my design. So I really, I grew in the talent of design and I also grew in the business of design. Wow. And I just to go back to it, it makes my heart so happy to hear that, like your enjoyment of being the stranger that can kind of give someone that spark, because I feel like all of us as entrepreneurs, I don't care how many years it's been. We remember some of those first early sales and how it made us feel when it was not a family member or like somebody that we had to like twist their arm. It was just someone who was like, oh, you're dope. Let me invest in you. You're just like, oh, you see me. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. I mean, you know me, I want people to feel seen, <laughs> but I love, I love to make people feel seen. And I also love to instill confidence in people. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, how my personality is just super confident. Um, and you know, in a funny way too, but I just want people to feel confident. And I think, um, when you pay people for their services, it instills confidence because a lot of times people, when you're new starting out, people are trying to get over on you. They're trying to lowball you. They're trying to barter with you. And it's like, is there anybody out there just willing to pay me for what I do? And I want to be that person for young creatives starting out. Oh, yes. Okay. So let's fast forward a little bit. So I happen again, y'all, I have a little bit of the behind the scenes. So I'm just going to ask the questions. You may or may not get context here, but I happen to know that something that was really important to you early on was building a team for your company that could really support you made up of women of color. And that was like this big vision and that really led you and whatnot. And I'm curious, can you share just a little bit about that? Like a little bit about the earlier days, once you kind of, you know, I know that you transitioned a little bit, went more into like branding, messaging and helping other business owners out. And so once you got into that phase of business, what was that like for you? Yeah. So once I like figured out my zone of genius, started making more money consistently with selling digital products and coaching, um, I finally started making consistent hires when I wanted to grow an agency. I wanted to combine my expertise of messaging and content creation and my expertise of design skills. So I'm like, okay, who do I need in order to be able to make this magic happen to help people build their brands? So I hired a copywriter. Um, I had somebody who was doing the web development. I had somebody who was assisting me like with all of the tech and administrative things. And it was really fun and cool back then. Um, that was just such a fun time. You know, I was, I was learning so much. And again, this is back then when like $10 an hour was still a good amount of money for people. So I'm like, winging it by paying people $10 an hour to help me, you know, essentially grow this team and, and run this full-time business. Um, but it was just such a fun time. That was back when I was doing webinars really consistently and blogging really consistently. And just knowing that I had a team that supported me felt really good because I got to really stay in my zone of genius and they got to work in their zone of genius and it just worked really well. And so that's really, really intriguing to me because something that I've seen a lot of people struggle with, especially early on, is trying to figure out which business model 
they want to take part in. You know what I mean? So do they want to go the agency route? Do they want to build the more traditional coaching model? Like, do they want to become, you know, the world's leading online education platform, blah, 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 like all these different ways of going about it. And so it's cool to me to hear that you kind of started with the agency model, made a little bit of a transition a little bit later on. And can you speak to that? Because I feel like hearing it from someone who sat in both seats may kind of jog something in the people who are still trying to figure out which path they want to take. Yeah, I mean, so I've done the different models. So of course, like the digital, um, I've done like online memberships, did digital courses, digital products, and that worked really well um, when I was doing low ticket because I had high volume. Then I did agency and I always have loved the idea of agency because well, one, I like control. So it's like, if I have the agency, it's like, okay, we will write your copy. We will set up your funnel. Don't screw this up. <laughs> um, so I liked that model, but then what got challenging about running the agency is because we had so much control, um, a lot of the times the clients were way too hands off. And so when they were hands off, then when it was time for them to, you know, click go on launching their offer or launching their brand, um, they weren't involved as much as they needed to be in order for it to be successful. So they had all of the technical parts, but they weren't showing up consistently as the individual, as the personal brand or the CEO. So I transitioned out of agency and that's when I created Impact Weekend and started doing more high ticket coaching because I'm like, well, I still want people to have these high level strategies. And when I was teaching my clients, they were getting better results than me actually doing it for my clients because they had to be involved in the process. And I was attracting people who were willing to show up and do the work, they just needed the strategies. So now having a team with a done with you model has been really interesting um, because I'm relying on my team to not just do the work, but have conversations with my clients on behalf of me or, or using the same voice as me, which is completely different than a team member doing something behind the scenes. Um, and there's still parts of me that at a high level wants to do a little bit of agency style, but it just absolutely has to be the right client that's willing to show up for their business. I love your explanation of that because I think it was a little bit actually, was it surprising to be a little bit because it was client driven. It was driven by the needs of the clients that you were seeing. And so you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I wonder if you can give us some more context um, in regards to leading those two very different types of teams, right? Because I'm similar to kind of, I guess, where you are right now in regards to my team member does, you know, speak up on mastermind calls and does directly interact with my clients, not just to deliver the deliverables, but to coach them and to like give insight and input. And that's a whole different type of training and leadership necessary than if you have a client, I mean, if you have a team member behind the scenes, who's like, writing an email campaign and just delivering that to you so that you can deal with the client. Yes, 100%. Well, the reason it's so challenging is because we put ourselves out there as personal brands and which I think everybody should build a personal brand. I think it's such a 
it's such a simple, easy and quick way, in my opinion, to be able to just build a personal brand, leverage that people fall in love with you, they pay you. Um, but then where things can get challenging is when you do start to scale and you need other people at the forefront of your business and other people are client facing, then you have to scale back from making yourself the prize and you have to sell the system and sell the process, sell the framework, sell the IPs. And that's what I ha have had to learn within the last year or so, um, because it needs to go from, oh my gosh, I want to work with Maya. I want to work with Maya. I want to work with Maya to, I want to be a built to impact client. I want to work with the impact coaches. I want to work with the impact coaches. So even strategically, I've been putting my coaches at the forefront of a lot of the things we're doing on the coaching calls within the events and showing my clients that they can trust the coaches of built to impact because I train them versus only trusting me to touch everything. So that's the challenging part about building a personal brand. You can't be the only person forever if you plan on scaling. Ooh. And I think that's key, y'all. Like if you plan on scale, because I'm not, I'm not out here. I mean, Maya may, because Maya's like, ma'am, you can do more. But I'm like, look, if you want to make $200,000 a year and be content with that and leave it where it is, do that. That's beautiful. But if you have this bigger vision, just be aware that this is kind of what's coming for you. Um, and we need to decide if we're really on board with this. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I'm fine with people wanting to cap at 200,000 as long as they're doing it for an honest reason versus out of fear. So if you're like, listen, because I, I have honest conversations with clients where I'm like, do you want to be a CEO or do you want to be a well-paid solopreneur? But make that decision because if you're a well-paid solopreneur, there will be a cap. And if you're a CEO, there will be more problems. <laughs> so um, you do just have to make that decision. If I want to scale as a CEO, I can't be the only person on the team. Right. Oh, okay. So can you be honest with us? Give us some transparency here around what has been, I don't know, surprising or challenging around training these team members who are client facing? Like, cause that's, that's a new thing that you've recently started doing in the last couple of years. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, there's been challenges for the team that have not even been client facing. I think just training the team in general. Um, one thing I know about me is that I don't really like training. So I don't mind training team members on what the company does and operationally and how I like things done. I don't like training people where I think things are obvious and they should already know it because it's the job that they apply for, right? So before my grandma passed away, one of the things that used to annoy me most was when she would call me to like update an app on her phone or something like that, or she would forget a password. And it's like, I do not like teaching people how to do obvious things. And so I think that's one of the most <laughs> challenging parts of when I hire, I'm like, why would I teach you how to do this? Don't you like, based on your resume, it says you already know how to do this. So I would say that's definitely been the most challenging. And I was having a conversation conversation with James, and I would actually be curious of your opinion on this, but he was saying, 
with me, I like to hire experts, but there's a higher turnover because when you're an expert, you know that there are always things available to you. And he was like, I like to hire people and take my time with them. And then I build that sense of loyalty and I have longevity. And I'm like, okay, well, you can get in and out within a year because I just don't have the patience to be trying to train people. So I get it. And I do want that level of loyalty, but I'm going to have to build up my patience as a CEO to be able to, <laughs> to, to get that. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's my honest to goodness take on it. It's it's a trade-off, to be honest with you. It just really is. And when we're talking about hiring experts, it also goes down to, are you going to out-offer what is industry standard in relation to pay benefits compensation like whole shebang? Because if we're not, then of course they're going to like add it to their resume and they're like, I'm amazing. Someone will pay me another 40K a year on top of this. So I'm going to be out because I'm amazing <laughs> versus if, if you're building someone up over time. But it ugh, look, because I, I'm that's literally what I'm doing right now with my associate consultant. She's fresh out of um, graduate school which is similar to the company that I joined when I was fresh out of graduate school was someone who was willing to take the time and build me up. So it does engender a ton of loyalty, but also I am still in connection with that CEO who brought, you know, brought me onto her team fresh out of grad school. And we've talked about her hiring other consultants to her firm. And she's just like, see, I love you, but I don't have the time or the energy to do that again. And I'm like, I get that. I do get it because it, it takes time. And she worked with me for years to develop my skill set. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I wish, I don't know if I need to go on a college campus or whatever, but I do want to find those like young, hungry people. Like I really wish I could find a 21 year old version of me. Like I was so hungry. I was willing to do the work and I could just do many things across the board. And so I think then what gets challenging with hiring the expert or the specialist is like, you're hiring them to do the one thing. They're not a generalist um, in which I, I don't mind paying people. You know, I build a brand where I tell people you should get paid well. And I, I pay my team very well. I probably overpay almost everybody on my team and that's no shade to them. It's because I want to just make people feel valued. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of having that balance of like, I don't want to train people, but it would be nice to find a college student that could absolutely grow with me. So I don't know. I guess I guess we'll see what happens with the evolution of built to impact. Another another challenging thing though is kind of to my point of saying, like, you know, I believe in people getting paid well, is that hiring people and they get so inspired by my message and now they want to be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, where are the people at that want to be employees? Because I'm not here to coach you. I'm here to you need to be serving me. That's literally why you're here. So that can be challenging as well when I hire people and they're getting inspired, they're seeing me speak and they're like, oh my gosh, I need to go get my own clients. And I have no interest in being a client. I'm interested in having employees that want to serve the vision of the company. Yeah, that's really, really tough. And uh, not saying that you do it, but something that I've come across with some of my other clients in the past is I'm like, are you only sourcing? from the entrepreneur bubble. That's just what I'll call it for lack of better word. Because if we're sourcing all of our talent from like-minded entrepreneurial spirited people, it's like, it's one thing to be an intrapreneur. I, I would argue that like some of the best employees for businesses like ours are intrapreneurs. They have the spirit, but they do not have the desire to build the company themselves. 
And I mean, yes. that's, it's really difficult to find. It's, it's, it very much is a game of patience to find those people. It is, it is. Fortunately, I have a few people on my team who are great entrepreneurs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult. And yeah, just having the conversation of like getting outside of the entrepreneurial bubble. That's why I'm like, where's the closest college campus where I just go on there and start recruiting people? I want people who have never heard of me. I want people to look at me like I'm some nerdy lady who's just trying to, I don't want you to know who I am. I don't need you to fangirl me. I don't want you to try to be an entrepreneur. I just need you to do the work that is on the roles and responsibilities of this job description. That's it. Yes, I'm telling you, because the fangirl thing, that's not that's not cute either. When it comes to being someone's boss, because then it, you have difficulty getting people to speak up and they're just like, yes, people, they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. It's like, didn't I hire you to give me ideas? What is this? Anywho. <laughs> yeah. What if finding your next dream hire suddenly became easy? Dare I say it, it is 110% possible. Enter my baby, Dream Hire Bootcamp. Dream Hire Bootcamp is your advanced hiring method to help you choose the right person for the right job, even if you've been burned by a bad hire before. This program was designed because you deserve to hire someone who gets it, you and your business. Your company has officially outgrown your days of winging it, of showing up to those interviews without interview questions prepared, of not following a systematic, tried and true, research-backed process. No, 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 no. Now is the time to utilize a strategic hiring method and build your dream team once and for all. All you have to do is go to tianatai.com slash DHB and you can get started today. I feel like we're getting a little bit of insight into who Maya is as a leader. Like, can you speak to it a little bit more directly? Like if you had to describe yourself as a leader, just what would you say? I don't care whether you're giving us personality traits, assessments, what just words, whatever. Man, Maya as a leader, I think um, stepping into my authority has been one of the most challenging things for me as a leader. Um, I've, I've never really formally worked in the corporate space, right? And so I don't have any experience of working in toxic environments. And I almost wish that I did because I'm like, I know it was toxic, but it kind of sounds like things were run well <laughs> in these toxic environments. And it, so it's like my workplace environment is so healthy. It's almost too healthy where I've struggled with creating peer-to-peer -peer relationships with people that I'm supposed to be leading. And so that's something that I've definitely struggled with. Um, I call people my team members when they're really my employees, you know what I mean? So I struggle with stepping into that authority and positioning myself higher than somebody. And I'm still working on kind of figuring out why I do that, but that's how I would describe myself as a leader. I'm very clear with my communication, um, but I, I definitely overthink stepping on people's toes and I'm doing a much better job with that. But once I fully get over that, um, I definitely think it's going to make a huge difference in how my companies are run. Didn't you uh, tell me once that you were an Enneagram three, maybe wing two or something? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For those for those who know any, we're not going to get into the details of that. But for those who know Enneagram, 
I'm nodding my head when I'm hearing a little bit of the two-ness coming out in regards to, you know, just wanting to be there for people, help them. Like you're very good at building their relationships, but then there is that authority element that needs to get brought out. Yes, absolutely. So we're just going to keep me prayed up on uh, building my authority. So I would love to hear, hmm, I feel like we've gotten into some of the, the feelings, the the growth and all that. I actually just want some numbers. In regards to your team, how many people are on your team right now? How many people are on my team? Let me think. So I'm going to take a second to pause and count silently. There are six people on my team and three of them are full-time and then the other, their two are part-time and then the other one is like part-time easing into full-time. Do you think it's been more difficult to go from zero to one or to go from, you know, one team member upwards of six? You mean, do I think it's been more difficult to hire one person versus hire six? No, more so in regards to, so for me, and this is just me projecting because it's my own leadership style and the fears that I have to work through as a leader. Um, When I think of people, this is going to sound so bad, but again, Enneagram, I'm a five y'all. To me, one of my downsides is I can think of people as an energy suck, right? Right. And so when I think of having one team member, I'm like, okay, this is a really big jump for me. And I actually had to do a lot of mindset work just to have one person be fully reliant on me for like their income and leadership and mentorship and all of that. But I'm curious, was it more difficult to make like that mental transition from solopreneur to leader of like one or two, or was it more difficult to go into, okay, now we have like five or six bodies on every team call. This is different. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think there's definitely different challenges. I like having more people because it, it's more reliability. Um, but, and I get it, you know, as an introvert in terms of thinking about team suck, but I'm not the direct report for all six people. So I have three people that report directly to me and then the rest of the team members report to the the managers. So, um, and so that way now when we have team calls, it's not everybody on one call, it's who I need to be talking to. And then they have a team call with whoever their people are. So I like, I, it, whether it's one person or it's 12 people, I just need things to be getting done. <laughs> That's really what's important to me. Well, then let's get into a conversation around building out some of this hierarchy, right? So what was that like for you? Um, Because a lot of people who are listening into this podcast, they may have made one or two hires before, but they're really just now getting into the stage where they are also considering, do I want to have like department leads or managers or however they want to title them? So what was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, I recently just, you know, brought on department leads within the last, what, like eight to 12 months. Um, So it's so new within the last 18 to 24 months, me having this team. So let me think 2020 was my first million and I had an assistant then. And then after that, I hired an impact coach. Um, 
And now she uh, does the program operations and she has two coaches under her. So it's been easier for me to have these department leads because I want to make sure every single aspect of my business is fully covered. And that's why I broke it down like that. It made things so much more clear clear for me when I started really thinking about my company as a company and thinking about what are we doing with marketing? What are we doing with fulfillment? What are we doing with like the administrative and, and tech part? So I'm glad that I have a lead for all of those departments. Um, and I would say maybe the challenging part is me finding a very clear balance of how how much my hand needs to actually be in these departments because one part of me wants to be responsible and relinquish control, but at the same time, I still need to be a leader. And so um, while I might not be working with directly with the coaches who are coaching my clients, I still have to coach the person who is coaching the people under them. So I'm really, you know, I've been learning how to adequately lead the team leads so that way the other team members can feel supported in their roles as well. Ooh, I love that. And it, it brings to mind a concept that I think we touched on probably just a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about not accidentally outsourcing or delegating what you're supposed to do as a CEO and leader. So yes. what what's something on your list? Like if you could tell people like, the, these are the things that I know as a CEO and leader, I should not be out here trying to outsource, even if I'm tempted to, what shows up on Maya's list? Mm, that is a good question. Uh, I can't I can't think of anything specific, like a specific example, but I know one thing that my brain just gets so exhausted with as a CEO is the constant decision-making, constant, constant. And so for me as the leader, I need to go to my team with clear decisions and then tell them what to go execute. And, you know, again, struggling with that authoritative role, sometimes I go to my team members and say, well, what do you think about this? And it's like, girl, it's not my company. Just tell me what you want me to do. So I think probably delegating decision-making for my company uh, and not even, I think definitely I shouldn't be outsourcing that. You know, I, I want people to feel like their opinions matter and all of that. So I think it's a combination of your opinion matters and I'm seeking validation, you know, my Enneagram and, you know, words of affirmation, but, um, yeah, trying to delegate decisions that the CEO should be making is definitely something that I've, you know, had to work on executive decision should go to the executive. And I'd be trying to delegate it because I'm so tired of making all, all the decisions. That needs to go on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I, I totally get it. And it's so true. And I think that there's a difference between, I don't know, getting input and insight, even from like a creative lens on the nuances of some things versus trying to get your team to tell you like what the strategic direction of something should be. It's like, because if I were to say that to Evelyn, Evelyn would be like, Tiana, I don't, I don't know. I just work here. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's like, I say I want employees, but I'm, I'm asking them to make executive decisions. It's not adding up. Mm -hmm. It's like, where's my executive salary then, Tiana, Maya, somebody pay me my mm -hmm. seven figures. What are you doing? <laughs> okay. So any final words, final thoughts for the person who's kind of just stuck around with us this entire episode and you've got their gears turning just by sharing your own journey? 
um, final thoughts, what on leadership, entrepreneurship, what, what do your people want to hear? They want to hear anything that comes to mind for you as you kind of ruminate on your entire evolution as the leader CEO over the last couple of years. Mm. So final thought, my advice would be to remember that you got your company this far. So you need to continue trusting yourself. Um, and you got your company this far. And although you do need people to help you scale it, you are still equipped to continue building, scaling it, growing it. So your vision is incredibly important and you have to stick to that because it was your vision that got you here. And your team is relying on you to remain the leader and remain in a headspace where you can vision things out for your company. And just let her drop the proverbial mic at that moment, y'all. <laughs> so Maya, what's going on for you, for the company? Anything coming up that everyone needs to be aware of over the next couple of months? Mm, well, we have Built to Impact coming up, which is like the Super Bowl of our company. It, it takes nine months of planning. I think we have three months in our company where we're not talking about Built to Impact and then a straight nine months of, okay, here are all the things happening. So um, Impact Weekend is coming up and we have some, we have a couple new offers that we'll be dropping. So you guys will hear about that coming up in March, which I am excited about. Well, then tell the people where they can find you so that come March, come the end of February, early March, they can actually be tuned in and like have their notifications on so they're not missing stuff. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Maya Elias, M-A-Y-A-E-L-I-O-U-S. And you can find my company pages at Built to Impact and at Rebellious Fit, that's R-E-B-E-L-I-O-U-S-F-I-T. That's my last name, Elias, spelled within Rebellious. So I'm excited for you guys to follow me and shoot me a DM if you liked today's episode. My jaw dropped because I never caught that. Oh my goodness. Yes. Now I love the name more. Uh, yes, yes rebellious with one l rebellious by my alias you know what's funny in the back of my head i was like did she just spell rebellious wrong until i listened to what you said i said oh, no she's a genius this makes so much sense i love it okay <laughs> anyways y'all just ignore me in my pregnancy brain thank you maya we enjoyed having you today <laughs> thank you so much for having me 